All right, this is Jack Donovan, and I'm here with CB Robertson, and you are listening to or watching PH2T3R, Pater, the Journal of Solar Culture. And today we are going to talk about writing. And uh, I sent out some uh, questions, asked for some questions from people from my newsletter, uh, got some from people on Instagram, and uh, I think hopefully we'll have some in the chat at some point, but uh, I got a bunch, I got, I got four or five by email. But I wanted to start out where the question is, you know, everybody is not a writer, nor should you try to be. It's not really like a path to wealth and fame, really. <laughs> you know, uh, most people just write a book and there it is. Um, but we write more than I think we ever have. I, I joked in my newsletter that uh, the average man writes more than Mesopotamian scribe. Uh, you know, we have phones in our hands all day long. People are texting like they're actually using before, you know, you'd have a man who goes, wouldn't graduate from high school. Like my grandfather didn't graduate from high school. Like he, his writing was probably not fantastic uh, at all. Uh, and he didn't have to. He was an electrician on the railroad and that was fine. Uh, but today, everybody writes all the time, whether you're, you're commenting on the Internet all this stuff, you're, you're actually using the written word, which people didn't really do that until very, very recently. The average man writes a lot. Uh, so I think being able to communicate in writing is important, as important as you've argued in the past that uh, being able to argue a point in, in rhetoric is uh, a, a, right. a useful skill in life. Uh, yeah, which is a, a, you know, not an original argument of mine. I'm just, I'm just bringing Aristotle up into the present moment. Um, there is this movement online, um, the sort of post physique, this everyone go to the gym, get jacked, get swole, which is awesome, which is fantastic. Very, very here for that. Um, but that's not like a, a complete path. And there are other skills that you want to, you know, um, balance that out with. You should be going to the gym. Um, and the, the line from Aristotle in rhetoric is, um, it is absurd that a man should think it, uh, you know, important to be able to defend himself with his limbs, but not think it important to be able to defend himself with his words when words are more characteristic of the human animal than the use of limbs. Um, and I mean, what I love in that sentiment is it sort of takes for granted the premise that you should be training for combat and for strength. And it says, just as you would be strong here, uh, you should be strong in this other domain as well. And, um, you know, he, he preempts the, the critique of the sophists. The isn't, isn't it tricky? Isn't it uh, somewhat suspicious people who get too, too strong with too skillful in their words, too crafty. And he says that that critique is something that can be uh, made against all virtues, except virtue itself. A strong person can become a bully, you know, a person who's very talented at making money can use it the way that we see a lot of wealthy people using their wealth for today. You know, we, uh, all of these good things can be used for ill purposes, but that's not an excuse to not develop the skill. Right, right. And, and the example that comes to mind is I, I often use it as I'm very distrustful with people who are extremely good with sales. Right. Uh, which is a magical, ta black magic talent at a certain level. <laughs> and they can do it in email, too. They're, I, I know 
a bunch of professionals that actually that's their whole living is is getting you to the point where obviously you're going to click to purchase it at the end of going through their cycle of magic that they've created that uh, even you know whether it's i don't know uh, i don't know butthole bleach or whatever they're selling. I don't know. Like, whatever they're selling you're going to buy it by the time 2024 they use the sun now instead of <laughs> i'm sad that that's the first useless thing i could come up with but that's what, but uh anyway yeah going back to talking about writing one of the things that i wanted to bring up is and we talked about this a little bit before but i think people who are listening to this specifically for talking about writing uh, or asking questions about writing or learning to write better is that writing is a thinking process and i guess this is why people are told to journal yes you and i are both writers so i mean this is our journaling i guess and in many ways uh, uh we're working through our thoughts but most people don't do that all the time so i guess maybe that's why journaling is maybe more helpful for them to sort yeah. through what do I actually believe? What do I think about what's going on? All these things, whereas we have to comment on things all the time. So we're doing that, you know, working through problems. And um, some of the questions I thought of that I do while I'm writing, uh, because I think people think that you just sit down and write and you already have your opinion. And you're just a blah, 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 blah. And you just, no. you just craft the sentences. And a lot of times I mean, like, I have to stop constantly the entire way through it because I'm writing philosophy. I guess if I was writing just uh, a different kind of writing, uh, but I'm writing about thinking or, or your own ideas. And so I'm, I'm constantly asking myself, you know, I made a statement that sounds good, but is it accurate? Like, is that correct? Like, you know, I'll stop myself through it. I'm like, I was talking, we were talking because we're both working on some writing pieces and editing right now. And uh, I was going through a piece today and then like you know said something that uh, like the image of the future that people had in like the 1950s and 60s uh was you know kind of very optimistic and then i stopped and thought and i'm like actually they were all building bomb shelters too and there was a play called on the beach where they waited for the dark cloud to come and and so there's this undercurrent that wasn't hopeful at all. Like I was comparing it to dystopian futuristic visions that we have now and thinking about like the Jetsons or whatever. And, and, but I'm like, well, is what I'm saying really true there? And so I had to go down through a rabbit hole. I'm like, and how do I make, make it? So I'm qualifying it in the, to, to make sense of what I mean. And because otherwise I'm just saying something ridiculous, you know, like, right. you know, so, or, and someone's going to point that out, you know, like that's not true. Uh, so you have to, you have to go through all that. And so if you're doing it right, it, it, it seems maybe easier than it just came out, but like I had to like address all of those points just to make that one statement that's not even important part of my you know, thing and my argument. There was a uh, Christopher Hitchens quote that came to mind at, at the very beginning of this podcast when you were talking about how like everyone's writing, which doesn't mean everyone should write a book. Um, Hitchens was being interviewed by someone about George Orwell, and he made the point that George Orwell was not a genius was not a, a like a towering intellect, but his books were still excellent, you know, because of his power of observation, which he interpreted as saying, it just goes to show that there's a book inside all of us. Um, but for most of us, that's where it should stay. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but, but I mean, to your point about um, that process, uh, Hitchens was an unusually gifted uh, sentence architect. 
um, in, in putting words together. And he, uh, in a separate context, said something to the effect of, you know, beautiful sentences come to me. And I have to I have to be very watchful because some of the most beautiful sentences are not actually quite right, not true. And you have to you have to kill those darlings, which is a classical bit of that's like Strunk and White or or one of these other great stylists. It is from because I wrote it down because I was going to talk about it too. Oh. <laughs> it is uh, Stephen yeah. King is famously it says it says it a lot. Uh, and I think his book on writing, I've never read it, but I, I, I had to look it up and it, it's like Sir Arthur uh, Clier Cooch. Hmm. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce that last name because it's kind of a French English name. Yeah. But um, and it's on the art of writing in 1916 wrote. If you here require a practical rule of me, I will present you with this. Whenever you feel an impulse to per perpetrate a piece of exceptionally fine writing, Obey it wholeheartedly and delete it before sending your manuscript to press. Murder your darlings. And so that, that's that's what it came from. And then a whole bunch of other art, you know, authors repeated it in their advice to writers. And it's very what it, zen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just delete it. Uh, but what it means, and I have to do this all the time, and it, it is painful, uh, is that you sit there and spend 10, 15, 20 minutes coming up with this beautiful sentence like this this is exactly the way that i need to say this thing that i'm trying to say right now i'm like oh that's a that's a really nice vignette uh i i went and looked up all the words that had to go to it and picked the perfect ones and oh there's a little bit of alliteration that i like that's my whole jam i i, I said i think i said uh to someone that uh, oh in our group in in the order of fire i said uh, whenever i do alliteration that's basically me doing like finger like <laughs> events i'm like pop, pop, uh, you know, like I'm like, yeah. Uh, so I, I also, alliteration will just come to me. Like I can't rhyme for shit, but alliteration just comes to me. And so it had alliteration, it had everything. And, and then, uh, and I posted the other day, I think as a tweet. And then I'm looking at it, I'm like, that is not necessary from the point I'm making. Like none of that is necessary for the point that I'm making right now. And I think that's the essence of really this kill your darlings thing is like, yes, you can have a beautiful sentence and, and a beautiful idea and whatever, uh, but you really have to look at the logical flow of what you're saying because writing is communication. Right. And so if that doesn't need to be there and it's just distracting and it's like a curly cue that goes off in another direction, as cool as it is, it doesn't belong there and you pull it out. I think we, we mentioned Steven Pinker in some previous um, episodes, uh, uh, but he has a book, an ex absolutely one of his best books, I think, called The Sense of Style. And he's borrowing, he, he uses style, style guides of writing from the past as exemplars of good style, because of course, style, you know, uh, uh, advocates are, are going to be exemplars of, of good writing style you'd expect anyways. And Strunk and White, his, he said his favorite bit of advice was the omit needless words. Mm -hmm. And he says, what's perfect about it is it's, it's actually a complete sentence. Um, there is no superfluous words in that phrase. It is it exemplifies itself in this. You can't take anything away from it. And it's also good advice. Like you could say words that are not necessary and that's longer. Yes. <laughs> needless is, omit, is, is tighter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And omit is uh, it, it is it's a verb. 
Mm -hmm. and it's a command omit needless words done um yeah there's there's like a million different ways you could write that in like you know 10 words or or five words maybe four words but three perfect yeah yeah Um, that's great but uh yeah i mean the these are bits of advice on how to write well Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't know if we addressed the question of why it would be worthwhile to write in the first place. And um, it reminded me, thinking about it uh, 10 minutes before we started, um, there's, a, there's a gentleman I follow who, uh, whose wife was, had, I guess, a friend, this is, I'm, I'm not omitting needless details here, um, had a friend who, who in college said, man, I've got so many great ideas I just can't put them into words. And her response was, then what you have aren't ideas. They're just feelings. And <laughs> I, I, I love the directness of it, but it's true. Mm-hmm. It, it's accurate. And there's a, um, a very underrated uh, philosopher, uh, anti-enlightenment philosopher from the 17th century named Johann Hamann. He's a German Lutheran philosopher who... Um, among other things, said that uh, you can't actually think without words. Contra Stephen Pinker, what Pinker says um, in one of his other books, that you can think without words. I, th- I think um, Haman argues that you, uh, you actually can't. You can take action without words. You can, like, in a, in a martial arts context, you don't need to know the name of a stance in order to respond to a stimulus. Right. But to have ideas in the proper sense to have these um you know to be able to uh articulate a thought uh w- with all of the you know implications we have with a, th- a thought or an idea you, you you require words and the more practiced you are in the use of words um you know the better you're going to be at navigating them and conveying them and writing is the a bit like like trying to speak and think without writing is a bit like trying to do a classical martial arts form without a mirror you know some people are just going to be naturals at it but if you put a mirror and if you're trying to do a martial arts move or a dance move perhaps and you can actually see the feedback see how what you're doing looks compared to what other people you've seen do Mm -hmm. um it it gives you reflective self-correcting ability that you wouldn't have necessarily had just by speaking right no yeah there's a level of self-awareness that you can't really get from that it's an interesting comparison uh like a mirror yeah obviously same thing with like say squat form uh right if you have video of it oh i'm not hitting depth uh, and you don't really, you don't, right. it feels like you're hitting depth, you know, in, until you've done it, until you know what feeling hitting depth feels like, it feels like I feel quite low. Yes. <laughs> you know, I feel quite low, but until someone's there to either tell you you're not, or you see it, I'm like, oh, you're like, oh yeah. That's a yeah. Lot. And, uh, and you know, you see that. an extreme example of that as a father with, you know, Mm-hmm. four and five-year-old kids who see daddy do some push-ups like oh we're gonna do push-ups too and you know their bodies are like you know 90 degree angles up and they're <laughs> you know it's not not nowhere even close to a, a flat plank position right and you're like hey I, i'm not gonna go out of my way to show them that they're still you know three and five 
yeah that's fine but it's an amusing you know example that you see uh, sort of by comparison people who are in their 30s or their 50s or 60s uh very often uh on you know social media comment threads and people think they are making some absolute backhand of an argument uh in in their all caps uh with eight exclamation marks at the end and like you almost it almost makes you wish you could let them sober up and then show them back their comment the next day um because it, there's like an unpracticedness in the writing on social media that doesn't seem to um doesn't seem to be the same kind of writing as when you're writing out an essay or or a journal entry there's like a it's it's a reactive rather than a reflective mode of articulation that seems a lot closer to spoken speech than written speech yeah i mean we won't talk about this for too long because uh, right but, but uh it is it just reminded me you know i made that post uh i think yesterday or the day before uh on the the order of fires uh instagram account about uh misanthropy and you know i've said this for years uh like decades uh you know every misanthropist is really just a frustrated idealist right and it's true like it's because and the reason why is because you you humans are the only conscious beings who can actually evaluate like a moral position uh right. so it, like your entire framework for judging humans comes from humans to begin with and then you're like you're comparing them to something that obviously you know if you look at history we we know how they behave like, like it shouldn't be surprising that they're behaving like they've always behaved. So why are you mad about it? I mean, obviously, we are mad when people don't behave the way we wish they would. Right. Um, but to say that I hate all humans or I hate human, well, in co compared to what? What do you like better? That's that's also a conscious being because there isn't one that we know. Right. And so and uh, I had a commenter. Uh, they like. No, I'm not comparing it to anything. I'm just a misanthrope. People are garbage, blah, 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 blah. It was just like, yeah. but like was digging in his heels about that he's not comparing it to anything. And I was like, and I said exactly what I just said to, to, to you there. And he's like, well, no, I, I don't agree with that. I still think that humans are garbage and that's just how it is. And I was just like, you don't think very deeply, do you? Uh, and and <laughs> like, uh, yeah. you don't think about thoughts. Like you're, you're not understanding what I'm saying, you know, like that's, that's, uh, you're not all the way there. Uh, so, I mean, and that's just, I think maybe an intellectual level uh, of discourse that people do, but uh, you know, you can, obviously, if you do a little bit more writing, think about thoughts because that's yeah. what this writing kind of stuff is. And that's why I said, you know, in the beginning, as I was saying, as you're going through this writing process, I mean, you are actually like saying, do I actually believe what I said? Right. Yeah. And if you're, you can make statements and be like, I, you're feeling because I have feelings about a lot of things, but yeah. like, wait, do I actually believe that? Or right. am I just having a feeling? And then also are, then is that a responsible thing to say, <laughs> you know, like in right. public, you know, like, is that, is that something that I want someone else to act on or whatever? Um, I mean, they have their own agency and it's not my problem. I suggested it. Uh, but uh you know, is that a responsible thing? Is that is that improving the world or not improving the world by making that suggestion? In the way that I said that, uh, I, I, I um, influencer X is a 
saying he's a nihilist out loud and I'm um, like, and has a huge audience and has, you know, all these people. I'm like, that's a really, it's irresponsible thing to say to young men. Yeah. Like be a nihilist. Oh, cool. Good job, buddy. Uh, you know, like, like that's, it's an irresponsible thing to say, whether or not you feel that way inside, blah, 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 blah. That's like, the, do you know what the repercussions of telling millions and well, millions, and millions of young men to be nihilists, sir? That's, well, and that's it's, it's so like to, to talk about your, your previous misanthrope, like mm-hmm. it's such a, it's such an annoying, I'm not a huge fan of argumentation ethics. I think they're generally stupid, but with, but with nihilism in particular, like, do you believe other people should be nihilists? Right. Do you believe you should be a nihilist? Yeah. And if so, on what grounds? Yeah. Like, like work out the you, math of where that leads. Well, well, it's like, there's no, there's no nihilistic foundation for nihilism. <laughs> you know is, is the point like like right. as soon as you say someone should be a nihilism and you say because why there's there's the back door out of nihilism right through the same revolving door you came in by like it's 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 actually a pointless statement say i am a nihilist um if you are a nihilist there's no compulsion to assert that uh if you say well i'm a nihilist therefore I think you should just pursue power and wealth. Then what you actually are is some kind of hedonistic utilitarian, which is different. It's not the same thing. Right. And like, it, th- there's no. And this is this is the kind of value that writing can bring because it can take you out of these. Uh, like when you say I'm a nihilist, you're doing what that one guy's wife said. You're, you're not actually having a thought. You're kind of just emoting. Right. Um, <laughs> in essence, unless you're using nihilism in a very technical sense, but I, I don't think random social media influencers are, are rejecting specifically moral theories rather than value, you know. Yeah, I mean, on. basically what he's saying is Cartman, he, he's just Cartman saying like, I'll do what I want. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's cool. at, the, at the end of the day, that's what we fucking do. Good, but, good job. Um, yeah, <laughs> good job. I do what I want. All right. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, that brings me to something that I, I take a lot of pride in. I think you do too. Um, while we're writing, cause I, you know, people were looking, obviously watching this to to hear the, the process, yeah, the process stuff, uh, and tips and so forth. Uh, and one of the things I'm, I don't think people will understand how much I care about this is, uh, is, uh, picking the right word. Mm. And uh, I will absolutely go down a rabbit hole of exactly the right word. What did it mean a thousand years ago? Uh, what what are the roots of it? Uh, all these things, you know, not for every single thing that I say, because most a most of the words I know, you know, we speak in language where most of the words are very familiar to us and whatever. But if I'm trying to pick a word for a specific point or meaning, I will often just wonder that's part of how my mind works i'm like because because i have a fairly big writing vocabulary my speaking vocabulary is trash but my writing vocabulary is much much bigger and i'll pull big words out of my head that i've read from somewhere and i have a i have a really good sense of context of what they mean but i'll still look them up a lot of times like to make sure that i'm using that word correctly because a lot of people use words that they've heard in a certain context but it actually isn't right for the context that they're putting it in. So right. they're misplacing a word and then they're making themselves sound dumb. 
uh, because for anyone who actually knows what that word means. So I will look things up, even if I have a pretty good idea. And I'm usually right. You know, I'm usually, it's usually the right word, but I will look that up. You know, like I encourage everybody to look up more, more words than you think you need to. Yeah. You know, if, if you, you want to, what you, that word really means, you know, if you, if you want to make a psychologist double face palm, uh, talk about corporal punishment, like spanking, yeah. talk about it as negative reinforcement. Um, it will, it will make them be just roll their R's and be like, Oh God, where do I begin? And it sounds correct. Colloquially, it sounds accurate. Like it's, it's negative and it's reinforcing what the, the standards that the parent wants. Yeah. And it's like in, in, in psychology, including developmental psychology and, and like parenting stuff like that, uh, behaviorism, uh, as counterintuitive as it sounds, you know, spanking or punishing of that kind is positive reinforcement because you're adding something to it and it's one of those thoughtless little things that people can accidentally say that is like natural and intuitive but can make you sound dumb without really thinking about it because these these things already have meanings attached to them and whether that was your intended meaning or not you're still invoking these meanings yeah um when you bring sometimes you point. Pull, out, pull out the popular meaning and that's fine because right. it depends on your audience. But but yeah, I mean, it's worth looking up. Make sure it, I, it's funny. You made me laugh when you said that because it's like uh, uh, an old friend of mine who likes to he likes to pretend that he's dumber than he is. Uh, but he goes by has like a redneck kind of mentality. And he, he always used to say negative reinforcement uh, like but he would use it for like just, you know, making fun of me. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> or like anybody like like i like to use negative reinforcement you fucking suck you're fat you know like whatever <laughs> you know uh but uh but yeah yeah it's it's a different it, you know it's it makes sense to him and everybody knows what he means but uh mm -hmm. it, it, you know if you're going to write something obviously you, you want to be a little bit more precise but one thing i wrote down about choosing the right word and like i said i will be I get really, really, really precise about things. And sometimes it's also, there's, there's five different words and one of them is perfect. Uh, like one of them, one of them is like, like really nice. I think I, I picked up, I picked one yesterday. I forget what it was, but I looked back at the roots and it actually meant, Oh, it was uh, calcitrant and calcify. Hmm. Um, uh, and I was using it to describe people. And like calcified, we all know what that means right off the hop ahead because it's cal something calcified is turned hard and, you know, like, not right. right. Kind of like you use ossified a lot. Is it? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, tell words. Yeah, yeah. And, but, uh, so calcified makes sense. And everybody knows what it means. Calcitrant actually has Latin roots that basically mean digging your heels in. It's the op is, is it the opposite of recalcitrant? Because recalcitrant sounds like huh yeah That's sort of counterintuitive yeah yeah i mean you'd have to look it up but i have to i mean i'm not going to make a definitive statement but i did dig into the definition I mean, calcitrant sounds like calcified it sounds like it should be the same root like it should be the some very different version of the same word but it's oh, not yes. at all and it actually yes. has something to do with like heels kick like it heels kicking you know like in, in. and so huh. i was like oh that is that is descriptive like that i love the heels digging it but no one will know that. Right. And so my point that I wanted to bring up about choosing the right word is that also you have to know your, know your audience and yes. you can make a 
brilliant point and used the perfect word, but if no one knows what it means, it, it it's like, you know, uh, you said something to an audience that nobody understands. You're like, you're a comedian and your joke flop because no one knows what you're talking about. You know, like I, I've got to share a, a somewhat of a digression of a story. My uh, uncle was a uh, very high caliber lawyer mm -hmm. um, and was was at one point making an argument before. I don't know if this was the Supreme Court case, but uh, like a very high up court. And he was showing my dad the transcript of his argument. And my dad was reading it and is like half comprehending what was being said. But there was one word that stuck out to him. He's like, whoa, what a what a word. Where'd you find this word? And he, my dad didn't know what it was. I, I actually don't know what the word was, but it stuck out to my dad. And my uncle was like, oh, you like that word, huh? My dad's like, yeah, where'd you find that? My uncle had dug through the judge's um, high school papers and college grad papers and essays, which were for some reason publicly accessible and had read through all of those and found this word that the judge had used on some of his essays. That was like a very particular word and decided to use it in his argument in front of the judge and ended up winning the case with it. So like taking, taking your audience uh, <laughs> understanding your audience taken to the like 10th degree, uh, it, it can work and, and speaking, you know, pacing and leading your audience, meeting your audience where their language is rather than the language you want to say, uh, speaking is a big, a big part of the, the communication goal that you were talking about, not just not using words that, uh, you want to use like calcitrant or, um, you know, most of the words I want to use, but uh, <laughs> like, but, but positively going out to find what are the words that are like key, uh, meaningful and powerful to the audience. Right. Um, and, and you also come to understand the ideas that are conveyed by these words better. Like um, in, in so far as writing as a process is concerned, I began writing the hero and the man, um, as a defense of heroism, I was like, uh, it, it was a, it was a feeling, not an idea. Right. And um, the more I dug into and explored this, because you have to do a lot of research on these things, it turned from an advocacy thing into a descriptive project about what actually is a hero, which was very different than what I thought it was going in. And so the the writing process is as much a research process and a, and a spelunking exploration of the meanings of these words. Mm -hmm. um, as it is, uh, you know, just, just putting your pre-existing thoughts into words that might not even be a thing. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's so much of, of what this is. Um, yeah. And, and I've often wondered, uh, I can feel, I can feel my age in my writing a little bit because I often feel like I need to, I need to take in more popular culture mm. because um, like, like men of a certain age, my popular culture, like it's tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and like older and older and older and older. And so I find my, I, my references are so Gen X, uh, like, uh, it, it, I, and I start making inside jokes to the audience that you only know if you're over 40, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's a problem because I'm still trying to reach young, uh, yeah, you know, I want to reach guys in their thirties and twenties, but, uh, you know, I, if I'm making a joke about a movie that they've never seen, uh, I'm making this inside and I'm like, I, I made like, 
I think the best things in writing is when you can you can slip something in there and you know that three quarters of the people will, that you're reading will pick it up. Yeah. But you didn't actually say, as they said in the movie, blah, 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 blah. Right. You just kind of throw in half of a line of something that everybody hears, everybody knows. And, there's a, there's a, a film producer, Andrew Stanton, mm-hmm. who did Toy Story and Wally and a few others. And he said that the number one rule of storytelling, which he says is also the rule of of joke telling, I would argue maybe writing in general is you, you give the audience one plus one, you don't give them two, mm-hmm. which is like, there's a fine line to, to balance between omitting needless words and being clear, but also not being, uh, not insulting the intelligence of your audience, not being, yeah, uh, not being excessively repetitive or, uh, what, What's the word? Um, <laughs> you know, I don't want to say too clear because being clear is kind of an absolute ideal. But you, you give them one plus one, and you 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 know, credit them with the intelligence to put things together on their own, like and maybe, it makes maybe these, I'm a pedantic like t- tires. Yeah, pedantic, you know, I mean, well, a perfect example, which you kind of almost said right there, uh, was um, if I say the first rule of something is something. To have yes. the guys my age, it's a Fight Club reference. Yes. But if you haven't seen Fight Club, that meant nothing to you. Right. <laughs> you know, so there's so many things like that. And 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 some of it's some of it's like you know, it, it takes a refined taste to to appreciate this. You know, right. if I like sometimes I'll put like I'll be writing something and I'll say like uh, like if I'm writing a manifesto, I might say there's a specter of something. And if you've read the Communist Manifesto, you know it starts, there's a specter of communism going across Europe. Like right. little things like that are like little Easter eggs that you can put in for a well-read audience. And then, but a certain level, you're if you get taken to a certain level, you're writing like Ezra Pound, you know, yeah. and, and really like, oh, I've written this and I've written one page in five languages and yeah. like and have references to things you've never read. You know, like, I feel like the best writing is like a Disney movie where mm-hmm. like the kids will follow along and yeah. will enjoy it. And they don't miss the references for the parents that right. they don't get. They're like superfluous. Yeah. But there are enough Easter eggs and those little uh, fill in the gaps bits for the parents that uh, it, it's like entertaining at that level as well. Um, right. Right. I guess I guess some of those. Uh, <laughs> well, some of those are basically dad jokes. Uh, really, I mean, because yeah, I always say that the thing that makes a dad joke good is that it only has to make me laugh. Like it's you know, like it only has to make the guy laugh, and it's a dad joke because it doesn't matter if you care. Yeah. Uh, it's just like <laughs> my my my, yeah. my daughter has taken to asking for beverages by saying, "Dad, I'm thirsty," in a very declarative, mm-hmm. uh, almost commanding tone, and I have taken great delight in turning to her and say hi thirsty i'm dad and, and <laughs> it like uh, it, the 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 slowness of the delivery and the and the and the the dramatic emphasis on the, the stories I'll, I'll look at my wife first i'll be like hi thirsty <laughs> uh, and everyone's like groans and it's absolutely wonderful and it's a it's a it's a fun way of teaching her to you know not ask for drinks like that because it's rude and it's annoying but like but it's also fun for me um and the and the slowness of the delivery is, is its own kind of humor that yeah. lets you anticipate the 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 pain of the second shoe dropping in another second before it drops <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun 
all right, so I want to cover real quick um, some things I threw out here that I don't think a lot of people know. I put them in my um, in my newsletter today, but not everybody reads that. Uh, who's going to watch this on YouTube or want to learn about writing? But a big thing that we didn't have a year ago, it might be a year, maybe a year and a half, I don't know, uh, was is uh, AI um, as, as a writing tool, which was not real mm -hmm. um, a few years ago. And I came up with uh, five ways that you can use AI in a way that's not trash. Uh, because AI writes like an NPC, like ChatGPT Chat yeah. writes like an NPC. Like if you wanted uh, Barb in uh, marketing to write you a basic, like cheery, uh, like marketing letter, it'll do that. Um, and, and, you know, like if you're a really basic person, maybe you'll be like, yeah, I would like to buy that, you know, like, but uh, everybody else will be just like, before we get into the rules, can I can yeah. I just say real quick um, to Taylor and Shitbird Militia and Mortician and a few others, uh, okay. we're seeing your comments in the live feed. Okay, we cool. will get to those. Um, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we definitely will. I have a bunch yeah. of uh, questions that we, we want to answer. I just want to get through some material first, and then we'll jump into that. Right. Everybody's mm -hmm. questions. Um, thank you for, for looking at that. Um, so anyway, it yeah, writes like an NPC, which is what it is. Actually, it's literally like the, the idea of an NPC is that, you know, non-player character in the video game that's just run by a computer. And that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, it's no surprise. But uh, what I found is that I, I only did this the other day for the first time was it AI can actually bridge like chat GPT can actually bridge the gap between a dictionary and a thesaurus. Because there's so many times, especially when you and I, like we're looking for an advanced, like I want a word that describes this and it's like a sentence, you know, mm -hmm. like, or a big phrase, like things that dot, 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 dot. Um, yeah. And you can't ask, you can't find that in a dictionary and yeah. you can't find it in a thesaurus. You can't, you, you can't, can't ask ChatGPT, what is a word that means this, that, like a whole sentence of things right. and it'll come up with a list of things. You can't you can't tell it to write your haiku, but it, you can tell it to find the right word for your haiku. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it'll write a haiku for sure. Uh, but uh, it, um, that that that's an easy thing that it can do. Uh, mm -hmm. It might not be good, but then haikus are kind of hard to judge. And stuff. But anyway, uh, you you can ask it for a very specific combination of things, which like normally if I would have to do that with a thesaurus, I'm a lot of times I know the word, I just can't get it. And I'm like, what is the word? Or that's when you start asking like a friend, like, what is the word that means blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and Chad GTB will actually answer that in a pretty good way. So that's a good way to use it where it isn't just writing for you. Um, mm -hmm. Brainstorming is another one. I, if yes. you ask it to write something for you, a lot of times it'll give you back something that annoys you enough to write it correctly. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm, like it, it'll give me something that's so canned and annoying that I'm like, okay, well, that was a good idea, but that was gross. And here, let me fix all this. And it's got, it gives you, it sets you out the scaffolding and the structure to work around. It's like, okay, part one is okay. Part four and five are okay. Parts two and three are absolute trash and it's missing part seven. And, and you can like restructure it and, and take what it gave you and say, what's wrong with it becomes your, your diving board for, exactly. um, diving into the subject or it critically misused this one word which is why um 
in anticipation of I, I just paid and set up this uh, study for my journeyman test as an electrician. And I've been using ChatGPT on and off to create uh, sample test questions. Mm -hmm. And the wonderful thing about that is even if it creates a crap question, that doesn't make any sense. Looking through the code book, it still like it's still a valuable question as a crap question, because looking through the code book can help you illustrate why it's a crap question. It's still getting you to look in the right places. And overall, it's actually very, very good at that um, yeah. because there's a lot of information about the electrical code online. So, um, yeah, it, you, even even where ChatGPT delivers obnoxiously NPC or even straight up false information, it can still be useful as a generative tool for a writer. Sort of like what we were talking about in one of the previous um, our previous conversations about, you know, working on a six by nine sheet of paper instead of infinite space. Right. You know, ChatGPT can can give you some constraints. Yeah, they'll narrow stuff down. From. And, and yeah. it, along those lines, this wasn't on my list, but uh, we've talked about it before, is that it's really good at bibliographies. Mm. Like, if I want to know, uh, like I asked at the primary sources uh, for, you know, Apollo, it, it gave me those right away. I, otherwise, I would have to dig around, you know, throw a whole bunch of entries and figure that out. So that was good for that. Uh, mimic style. Um, you can, if, if someone has a really recognizable style, um, you can ask it to mimic that style. Now, it's still, it's maybe not going to say things that make sense, always. Um, the example I gave it, I asked it to write this point basically that we're talking about in the style of Robert E. Howard. And, uh, you know, he's the author of Conan the Barbarian. And it wrote, in the unholy crucible of machine sorcery, the artifice of intelligence is conjured forth to weave the spectral echoes of the departed by compelling it to inscribe in the cryptic lexicon of the revered scribes, the automaton imbibes the voices of the long silenced speaking in the tones of those entombed in the literally literary annals, uh, which is, that sounds like Robert E. Howard. Uh, it's, it's his vocabulary pulled the, um, now unholy crucible of machine sorcery. I don't really know that that a crucible, is it a crucible? I don't, that, you can make that argument. I pulled that out when I used it's it. Like word salad, yeah. But but you know, machine sorcery. I like unholy machine sorcery. I liked quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah so uh, that that was a good usage. You can use it to find the style uh, and, and pull something out yeah. uh, and just for fun. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you'd call it your writing in the way that I don't call AI art my art. But uh, it, it's it give you something fun that's that's close. Sort of re related tangential comment, not in relating to AI, but to to humans who who want to write and to write better and to develop a writing voice. Yeah. Um. I don't know if this is true for everybody, but certainly true for me. Uh. You will eventually. They say you become the sum total of your five closest friends. Uh -huh. You will write the way that the people you read write. So. Whatever style you want to emulate, yes. uh, read a lot of that. You know, yes. um, I, I've noticed it in particular because uh, I, I went from listening to a whole lot of Christopher Hitchens and Stefan Molyneux to listening to a lot of um, uh, Vox Day and Curtis Yarvin. And I like Vox Day and Curtis Yarvin, uh, but they're not very good speakers. And I noticed that I actually began pausing more and umming and eyeing, like Curtis Yarvin in particular, brilliant thinker. Um, 
it was not nearly as fluent of a speaker as Hitchens or Molyneux. And, um, and the same is true with writing voice. I've, I read exactly, uh, my wife's birthday was a couple days ago and I got her a book by, um, Borges mm-hmm. and I, I have a long tradition. She's a big, uh, fan of English writing style and meter and the sound of English writing. Mm-hmm. I've had this bad habit of always buying her, um, uh, English books by foreign authors, like, um, Haruki Murakami or uh, <laughs> people like that. But Borges, she was set up to be disappointed. And just the first, not just the first page, but the first like two sentences were just mind-blowingly perfect English sentences that immediately carry you into the story, which is a story about a guy telling a story that you're not sure if it is true or false. It's set up as to be kind of historical, but he's telling you it's made up, but you're not quite sure. Right. And it's um, it's just so excellent. And, and you can already, even after just a couple pages, begin to feel the way you put sentences together and ideas together change ever so slightly. Um, the way people begin to adopt accents after living too long in a different country. Um, oh, 100%. So, yeah. So like you know, finding someone who writes in a voice that you like and reading a lot of that. Uh, and and I I believe strongly that um, rereading books is profoundly underrated. I think it's, it's better to reread the same book three times often than to, you know, read three different books because you, you'll, you'll retain actually something from something you reread. Um, at, whereas so much of... This is a bit of a tangent on a digression, but uh, I think people become addicted to the feeling of learning without actually necessarily retaining or learning anything, especially with podcasts and so forth. So if you find something that's good, has a good voice or good information, rereading that helps ingrain it the, the way you would do with a martial art where you do lots and lots and lots of reps in order to develop the skill. Yeah, Bedros uh, Kulian actually said that he reads, he reads books five times. Listening to them counts as well uh, for him. Uh, But uh, he said he read The Way of Men five times. And uh, sure enough, I mean, when he was asking me about it, I'm like, he's pulling out stuff that I forgot I wrote. Like, (laughs) he's like, if you read a book or listen to it five times, uh, you can start to teach from it. You know, like you can teach concepts from it because you remember it well enough at that point that, okay, it's fluent for you. Uh, So absolutely that. And and I think think that'll be useful information for a lot of people um, because yeah, yeah if, if you read someone a lot, you do pick it up. I pick up, if I start, if I start reading Nietzsche, I will start writing like Nietzsche. And yeah. like, I will, I will, we vibe really hard. And so like, I will start, I, I will start writing more like Nietzsche, which is always good. I feel like well, I should write more like Nietzsche all the time. Nietzsche is such an interesting character. I, I never actually read the part in Echo Homo the, which is which is subtitled why i write such excellent books um <laughs> but i imagine but i imagine it has to do with the fact that he's a philologist yeah and as we were talking about before with the importance of choosing correct words nietzsche understood all the words he was using and he used them beautifully and succinctly but people forget i think that nietzsche's definition of philology was the art of reading slowly Yes. And I think much of the problem going back to rereading books is that everyone wants the shortcut instead of reading 
you know, war and peace, they'll go to chat GPT and say, give me a summary of war and peace. And for the record, chat GPT sucks at that. It, it is right. really bad at giving you summaries. It can be good at giving you like plagiarisms of other people's summaries, which may or may not be accurate. But um, in terms of reading a text and giving you a summary of it is not not good at that. And most summaries are not good. Most summaries lose the not just the substance, but also the feeling and the tone. Mm -hmm. And you you miss out on the developing of the style. Um, that's one of the values of, of reading great books in the first place. Right. And just to wrap that up, I I, uh, I always say this, and this will be some other person who says I'm a Satanist, uh, but uh, uh, I always say that I learned to read, I learned to write from Anton LaVey and Pat Buchanan mm. in, in the same, like basically I was reading both at the same time because I'm that guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, Pat Buchanan, if anybody doesn't know, he wrote speeches for Nixon. Uh, he, he was a... You know, he, he could write something uh, to a certain length and tie it up in a bow. And actually, Anton LaVey was really good at that, too. His best work is not the, his, say, hey, Bible or whatever. It's his essays. And he would write, uh, you know, make there's one called the Cosmic Joy Buzzer. It's like this great title. It's, a, it's like maybe 1,200 words. And you know exactly what he talked about. He made one point and it's memorable. Yeah. And I think my best work is 1,200 words like that. And I was like, I made one point. And you remembered it because I had a good, a good title and I explained it well. And I got to the end and I wrapped it up in a little bow for you. Is that Miles and Golden? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's all my best stuff is like that. Yeah. Why is this golden? Okay. That's memorable. Uh, and you know, like, you know, yeah, whatever, uh, learn to love the battle ax, which is really a reference to, uh, uh, Mr. Dr. Strangelove. Um, but, uh, uh, which is pretty uh, obscure, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and Pat Buchanan was the same way. Now, if, if people don't know, Pat Buchanan is very Catholic. So like the opposite spectrum, but, uh, he ran for president and didn't win, but, uh, he, he was Nixon's speechwriter. And again, you know, a speechwriter for a president is a, is a, is a very tight writer. Um, I mean, well, they don't have to be now, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, to give a good, I mean, I'm sure whoever was writing Obama's speeches was like a, a winner, uh, you know, like yeah. to, to put that stuff out there, you know, it's like you write something memorable, make people feel a certain way, you know, like, but in, in a, in a tight little compact thing. So and whoever was writing for DeSantis in 2021 and then quit before 2022 was also excellent. <laughs> yeah yeah but that, anyway so that's i think that that's a good um point and the only other point i wanted to make before we jump into questions here is um you know like make it tighter i i it, it, i hate saying cringe uh because i think it, it just sounds faggy but um the uh when people tell me what their word count is like i'm working on a book i'm at thirty thousand words I'm like, I'm like, oh, you don't know how to write. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> like that's not, you don't ever brag about your word count. Like, no. I mean, it, it, it's how, how long it needs to be. It's, the, is it a good, yeah. is it good, is it a good 30,000 words? Or is it like you are just jerking yourself off for 30,000 words, yeah. which is normally the case. And you know, like, if you, if you wrote a 700 page book, that better be born peace. You know, like it, it, it's probably not, it probably doesn't need to be that long. And no. so like, and that, this is another use you could use ChatGPT for. Again, it won't give you a finished product that you should be happy with. Um, you should always 
anything it gives you, you should always uh, spice up. Uh, go back and add style or, or change something. But add vulgarity. If you have if you have something that's a thousand words, you could say rephrase this in, in two hundred fifty words, and it might it might help you compact it and see what you're you know, how you need to tighten something up. Yeah, um, I've used it for that a little bit uh, occasionally, like um, just crunch something down a little bit uh, that I'm saying. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that but anyway, yeah, always. Uh, and a point that I want to make about there's something that's changed really dramatically in writing is paragraph length. Mm. If you go and read Thomas Carlyle, <laughs> you, you'll hear two pages of semicolons, like, <laughs> like the, the narrow period will be found. Like the, 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 <laughs> the declaration of independence. Yeah. 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 I mean, just the semicolons and like, they're just, it's like stream of consciousness. It never stops. Um, and that has changed a lot. And I feel like I, I I did a good job of picking it up because I worked in corporate environments before I, I worked, I mean, nothing cool, but like uh, uh, before I started writing. And uh, if you write an email with big paragraphs, no one will read it. Right. Uh, but if you write, if you like, dun, 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 and that's the way all email marketing letters are written right now. You know, like, a, and that's, I found that when I write books, if I want you to remember a quote, I don't care if it belongs in a paragraph. I will break that out. In, in it's its own paragraph, you know, like I'll put the quote where you can see it. So, um, but anyway, so let's get the guys on the stream first. So we'll get their questions first because they, yeah. and then I can get to the, all the ones that I have from, from uh, the people wrote to me. So Taylor Martin says, howdy gents. There's the often repeated line in literature. That's everything is a copy. What's a good way to analyze the line between inspiration and imitation? Well, I mean, to me, um, so as we were talking about a minute ago, where uh, you know you write the way the people you read write, um, it, it's uh, I, I don't even know if there it, it is a line. You don't want to plagiarize, obviously, right. but um, you can't let the fact that the things you're saying were inspired by other people or might have been said by other people before uh, get in the way of practicing your hand at writing them. You might find that you have small differences of of opinion um or discover that what you were uh planning on writing was said by someone else i had that experience when i discovered um Gautamer, uh, a philosopher who created essentially he didn't totally invent the term hermeneutics um schleiermacher did but he um like i i was i was going down some rabbit hole some james Lindsay thing i was like oh hermeneutics is stupid it's a it's a hermetic uh, corruption and plagiarism of philology that they're just attaching a magical uh, angle to it. And they're trying to trying to do something crazy with it. And I started researching it and it's like, not only was I wrong and the etymological connection was coincidence. There's no hermetic connection to hermeneutics. Right. Um, it it's, was very much in line with what I had been writing. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's like very embarrassing, but also, but also, um, kind of uh, illuminating um, and and pleasant in its own way, although it's always a little bit takes the takes the wind out of your sails when you discover the thing that you thought was original, in fact, isn't that original after all. But, right. um, but I mean, if we were to not write things that were written before, we wouldn't write at all. No one would write anything. And, and also no one would read anything because, you know, uh, when people, Anton LaVey, uh, might is right 
Yeah. When was that written? 1912, 1918? Something like that. Yeah. Um, that's a lot more accessible than reading uh, Thrasymachus in Plato's Republic. Right. You know, especially in Greek, you know, you at least have to translate it. Yeah. Uh, a 17th century translation is probably not going to be as pleasant as 20th century translation. So the, the, the there's a there's a kind of a Heraclitus, you're not the same person, we're not in the same river dynamic yeah. that validates writing things even in the moment, even if it is kind of imitating things that I said before. But as with um, like a like a chess game. Mm -hmm. or or something else you can try to imitate someone else all you want but beyond a certain word count maybe i i give it three paragraphs yeah um, your own voice will come through whether you're yeah. trying to hide it or not yeah, yeah. And, and if if you're if you're doing full character like that um you should not because it's what happens i think especially this is a teenager thing I think a lot, and uh, maybe carried in the young adulthood for people, but uh, people see see you read a lot of 19th century literature. If you start writing like 19th century writers, you're ridiculous uh, because you know, like it because you you can pull a little bit of you can yeah, again pull in a little pepper and like make a reference or whatever. But if you start using their 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 syntax and so forth, you sound old timey. Uh, you, you sound like anachronistic and old timey and, and it's it's not going to connect with a modern audience and it makes you seem like you're uh, at a renaissance fair or like you're that you're 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 larping basically you're you're larping that you're in their period so if you know if someone had asked me in one of the emails you know like i would like to write like hemingway well what is hemingway how does hemingway write well he writes in short sentences uh, very sparingly uh, about and, and is very careful about not adding it too much like flowery detail of things. So you can do that in modern English in your own way, in your own voice. You you don't you just wouldn't start, you know, don't write about bullfights unless you went to one. You know, like it's it's right. it's not you don't don't start like making making things up. But if you wrote about going to the grocery store in Hemingway's, you know, like sentence structure, that's gonna be new. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you want to write like Hemingway, just read a lot of Hemingway. If you yeah. try to write like Hemingway, there's going to be a kind of stilted, inauthentic, incongruity feeling in your sentences that's yeah. going to make them feel uncanny and off. You're better off just letting the influence happen organically if there is going to be any influence. And don't don't try to imitate Cormac McCarthy. Don't try to imitate Kerouac or Hemingway or Palinuk, um, or any of these these great writers with their with their own. You don't try to be the new Joyce. Just write like yourself, um, which is uh, like very useless advice generally. But in the context of not trying to imitate other people in a conscious effort, mm -hmm. um, you know, just follow the rules of good writing and you it this may be counterintuitive but following the rules of conciseness and clarity and all these things we've been talking about one plus two one plus one not two and things like that you are not going to sound like a like a cookie cutter generic college graduate writer you are going that the way a journalist sound they've got much tighter rules than you have to follow following the rules of good style which they don't often follow anyways yeah. um will make you sound like a better version of yourself. 
So yeah. don't be afraid to follow rules of good writing. You're not losing your voice. You're not losing your authenticity or yourself. You're becoming a higher version of that. Yeah. And you, your style, insofar as you have a style, cannot actually be repressed. So, so you don't there's an asterisk there but um it, it can't be repressed just by making your writing better i'll say right and, and there are exceptions to all these rules there are you know like well hemming you know uh palinuk broke all these rules and palinuk's a great writer you're not palinuk you know he, yeah. he different writers have their own voices that break the rules in their own like like one of orwell orwell gave a list of great writing rules phenomenal list uh, by the way at the end of politics in the english language um where he he says many of these same things he says you know omit needless words or his own version of that um reduce everything as much as possible uh he advises to prefer anglo-saxon root words to greek or latin root words because they sound less pretentious and they're clearer um uh and he gives a few other rules but his fifth rule is break any of these rules or all of them before you write something truly dreadful and um <laughs> well yeah I, I, one of the ones i i another tool that we have uh that makes editing helpful because uh you know autocorrect or spell check the old spell checks wouldn't catch certain things but you know so i have a subscription to grammarly and so i'll run everything through grammarly and it still won't catch everything but it, you know it'll give you a whole bunch of suggestions uh for how to fix this or that and just flag things and it'll give you something to think about. Mm. But sometimes it's like, no, the way it wants to say it is not in my voice anymore. Right. The way it, it wants to, we're, like, it doesn't, it doesn't like, sound right. It doesn't like is going to. Like a lot of times, like that is going to be something, but that's how I talk. Uh, so yeah. that's my voice. And that's, people understand that. They know what I'm saying is that, and so like, I'll leave that there. And And the other thing, it always flags, is and this is always a decision and sometimes I, I take their advice and sometimes i don't is a passive um passive sentence structure sometimes uh, passive is correct yeah especially if you're writing something that sounds kind of a little churchy yeah uh, something that's supposed to sound a little that has a little like biblical like churchy kind of feel to it uh like prophecy or something like that it's going to have this kind of, it's going to be in a passive voice yeah uh, so it's just the, the convention of that so uh, you have to know when to again break that rule, and but it sometimes I'll be like, yeah, I could say that in an active voice, that'd be better, you know. So but, yeah, I don't know if we answered Taylor's question. Uh, what's the way so. to analyze the line between these two? But it's basically there's a little bit of both. Don't plagiarize. Don't try too hard to imitate, but yeah. uh, but don't be don't be afraid that you might be imitating. Right. Um, Shitbird Militia says, imagine a world of full of scientists, scienceists. Where humans are not animals, we act as animals, act in the face of extinction. Best practice, the thing you are acting against is an animal. So this would be an example where omitting some needless words and bringing a little clarity to the question, if it is a question, would, would be useful. I feel, I feel like this is unintentionally on brand with the, with the uh, live stream here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Cool. I'm not sure what that means, but yeah, thank no, you for I, your comment. Yes, yes. Thank you for watching. Mortician um, Stone. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I just received The Way of Men by Jack Donovan. It's a great book. Everybody must read it. You're right. Uh, thank <laughs> you. Uh, <laughs> suggestions on fiction, especially regarding writing. Uh, you're asking the wrong dudes. 
Uh, that's uh, yeah. this is not. I, I know you've been messing around with fiction, but haven't really gotten too far with it. Uh, right. I know you've been playing with it, and uh, I would love to write fiction. I, I it might be coming to me as I get a little older, maybe a little bit less self-involved. I don't know. Like yeah. I think to imagine other characters was odd for me because I was always imagining myself. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, like I, I do, I guess I write dialogue all the time for my dogs. Like I, I talk in my dog's voice all the time, so I'm writing, running, di improvising dialogue. Uh, I think I think I, and I do it for guys in the group. I wrote uh, character sketches for the guys in one of our uh, groups. Uh, well, Taylor, Taylor's in that group. In, in, yeah. in the uh, uh, and uh, you know, I wrote a character sketch of Vic real quick, and like like a backstory for their like you know, as if they're like uh, graphic novel characters uh, and stuff like that is fun. I just never written anything long. I wish I could, uh, and and maybe I will someday. Uh, but who else we got? We got. Well, um, as far as suggestions on fiction, especially okay. the, my, my advice would be just read more fiction. Yeah. Um, I mentioned and, and read fiction that expands your your view of what is possible in writing. I, I know Cormac McCarthy has become very popular, especially Blood Meridian and The Road. Um, but if I could offer three additional suggestions, I mentioned Borges before, cannot recommend him highly enough. He's truly excellent. Um, and uh, Haruki Murakami. And if you haven't read Chuck Palahniuk, the author of Fight Club, he's he's very he's a, he's a very good writer. And they, they just give you a different idea of the way people use words to tell stories, which sounds like a pedantic way of putting it. But it is what you're doing. And yep. the way you use words has to be congruent with the story you're telling. And Borges, Murakami and Palahniuk are all. Oh, oh, and the big one uh nabokov if you haven't read vladimir nabokov um pale fire or if you got a, a strong stomach lolita uh very very <laughs> highly recommend <laughs> they, would they have like a signed copy of that on epstein's island <laughs> no uh, so, so there, there's a the 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 uh, here's a digression on nabokov um there's another great uh writer named martin amos and christopher hitchens seconded this argument who said that Lolita is actually a moral masterpiece because what, what he does in Lolita is demonstrate over the course of this absolutely fucked up book um, that the, 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 for those of you who aren't aware, the protagonist is also an anti-hero is also the narrator and he's speaking in the second person directly to the reader as if he's in a court trial. It's very unnerving because he is a pedophile. And he is describing his affair with this pubescent young girl. And what it, what it portrays is the idea that pedophilia can actually be a form of love. But on the other side of that depiction, it's not just, it's not merely just as fucked up, is in some sense more fucked up. And the fact that it, it, it could be a form of love makes it no less of a corrupt and evil uh phenomenon and, and it depicts that over the course of the story you can't just you can't just hear it and be like oh it clicks and it's like no let let this burn into your soul there's this uh, horrific nietzschean parable of a saint who um you know is confronted by a a, a man who has a child who's deformed uh -huh. and the saint tells the man kill the child and then hold it in your arms for another week or something. Yeah. And it's like, 
it, it, it's that kind of hard wisdom that Nabokov is bringing to this. And, and Martin Amos says it, this is the strongest argument against pedophilia, stronger uh-huh. than any of the, the sort of default Christian right stuff, because just dismiss it as wrong because the Bible is something millstone around your neck or whatever. No, it says, no, no, no. Actually feel the weight of how fucked up this this situation is. Okay. And and it it absolutely destroys that facile and stupid argument that love is this all excusing, um, all forgiving thing. Oh, anything done out of love is is good. No, it's not. Right. You know. Cool. So but but the use of language there is absolutely phenomenal. And Nabokov is interesting because like Borges, his English is not his first language, but he is a better and Salman Rushdie is like this too. Um his use of English is, is decades beyond the vast majority of English speakers. Cool. And I'm glad that you wrapped that back around because I thought for a minute there I was going to have to hit technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Sorry. It's like, not cool. Uh, but uh, yeah. I was like, uh, but uh, I mean, I knew you would get back to uh, some kind of some insane, insane point, but it, for a minute there, it sounded like a mess. Uh, I'm like, I don't want what that pulled out of the quote. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, there is a so, great speech by Amos about Nabokov, but yeah, we can return cool. to the, the saner questions. Yeah, um, we got to get the questions. So these guys don't, uh, they've been nice enough to listen in along. And I appreciate this is the best uh, role of questions that we've had. Um, let's see. So uh, building tribes, building tribes uh, writing organized thought could be one of the most important things for the tribe. Um, I would say real quick, I'm just going to answer super quick, um, is that there's a temptation when guys try to start groups of men that they want to like start create all the bylaws and the uh, whole organization from the beginning. And that normally that isn't how groups really form. It's an organic process. Um, if you do too much, be, it's good to have a plan, but that plan needs to evolve and take other people's uh, ideas into account. So, it, it, yes, you should articulate idea, but and, and honestly, that's what we're doing. We're doing this for the order of fire, right? We're, we're uh, Christopher and I have like hashed out a few ideas that are kind of part of what our group believes now, and that's that's how it should work. It shouldn't work like one dude sits down and writes the uh, the Bible for the group before he asks anyone to join. Because that doesn't normally work out very well. But uh, anyway, next next question. Um, it'd be great if you, next session if you get uh, Stephen Pressfield. Um, you know, I think he followed me for a little bit, and I, I think he knows who I am. But like, I don't think I'm on the hate come on my podcast level with Stephen Pressfield yet. Great writer, Gates of Fire is fantastic. Highly recommend. Um, and we got next. Um, as a writer, are you always thinking about writing for an audience or writing from just your own inner? I have a hard time coming up with the right word. I suppose it depends. Um, writing for yourself. And basically that's what we're advocating that other people do. Uh, you know, if I was gonna be crass right now, I'd be like, there is only Jack Donovan. Uh, like, <laughs> there, there's, 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 I, I only write for the people. I have not, I, you know, like, but uh, um, his, no, his I mean, follow-up question is, you know, is it just masturbation if you write for yourself? And I think this goes back to the thing we were talking about at the beginning. On the contrary, that yeah. might be the most valuable part right. is is writing to clarify your own thoughts and maybe to turn those feelings you're having into thoughts proper. 
That's not masturbation. Sit, calling writing for yourself masturbation is what people will tell you when they, they don't want you to write. Right. They don't want you, they'll say, oh, you're so vain if you're like working out in the gym. Like they don't want you to look better than them. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And, and yeah, it's, and these two things are also not mutually exclusive. I mean, obviously, uh, I'm going to write something for public consumption, but also that that clarifies my opinion on it. Now that's my opinion. And then when I discuss things, I'm working from that. So it's also for me too, you know, so it, it all you know, feeds into itself. Um, okay. Do you recommend self-publishing or the traditional route? I also got this as a uh, email question. And that's something that I can speak to really well. I, my first book, which shall not be named, uh, but uh, my first book, uh, I, I had a traditional publisher. It was, I got to go in Barnes and Noble and pick it out of the shelf. And I'm like, it's, uh, it was there. And that's super cool. And I made $1,500 from that book. Like, and I got it like two years later. <laughs> so, and that's how book publishing works. Uh, they call self-publishing, they used to call it vanity publishing uh, because it was for people who couldn't get a real publisher. That's, that's how you words, use words to, to, to diminish something. I can't speak, diminish something. Yeah. Like, like masturbation. Oh, it's just vanity publishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, I mean, if I would say that the the mainstream publishing route, unless you're like, have a book that's really going to connect with a really wide audience and that's how it gets there. There are certain kind of books that you really have to go through a main publisher, I think. But like, um, I would almost say that uh, the traditional route is the vanity publishing route. If you, There are a lot of people who write self- who write ghost, ghost written books, who go through a traditional publisher. Why? Because they're doing it for the prestige. Yeah. And yeah. so they have a, a card to sell. And, and, uh, and it's also means that you don't need to make money from that book. Uh, so you're, you're, the book is just a calling card. It's like a little product that you've put out. It's that you don't need to make money from it. I mean, if you, if you're an author and that's the way you make your living, don't go to a publishing company. Yeah. They Can, will, yeah, you'll never make any money. Conversely, um, one of the most successful fiction writers out there currently um, is uh, self-publishing, but but so, is so not in it for the vanity that they're still anonymous. They go by the pseudonym Delicious Tacos. Um, they have a Twitter account that they push their their books by. I assume it's a man that writes like a man. Yeah. Um, I've read one of his books. Um, very good writing um mm -hmm. it's fun reading and, and he's got a few other ones out there too um those are all self-published and he does excellent the economics of it and the amount of control that you have over it there is some value to having an editor say i think you should not include this part i think you should cut that um so oh, i i i would love to have someone who actually understood my work um in the context of it get, like just tell me what to do <laughs> you know, like, like Jack, no, this is you like, look at my essay that I'm trying to write right now and be like, oh, you know, what you should really do is this, uh, and like this part was good. This part, that's shit. Uh, and like, okay, I'll go do that. Thank you for making that, those decisions for me. Um, right. but I mean, that would be cool. And you know, that is one advantage that obviously those writers have, but, um, who, who are the editors in major publishing companies? They're all women. Um, so you know, like I'm going to have a woman edit my book. I feel like that's like a, a men's coach who has a female life coach. Like, like you're, you're going to let someone in your head really change all this for you. Like, no, 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 no. Uh, so yeah. I, it, and like the economics of it uh, just is, is basically 
people always ask me, should I buy something directly from you or through Amazon? And the way it works right now is that like I have a publishing company that I go through that distributes the books and I get X amount of dollars. You can do it directly through Amazon. A lot of people do that. Maybe you do that, uh, Chris, is that? I, I, just self, I just use KDP on Amazon. You do KDP, right? I, I actually <laughs> use a company called Lightning Source. Um, and they, they're owned by Amazon, so it's all the same, really. But it's like one step forward because I actually do the layout myself. And so mm-hmm. like in InDesign, and then they can sell, the, they can ship the books to a whole anywhere. Um, and so like, uh, but I get like four bucks a book. And it's just because of whatever I price it at. Um, and so that's the best way to do it because yeah, I can, I can ship you a book, but then that, that's a job for me that I have to go out my garage and print a th- label and da, da, da. You know, it's like, yeah, if Amazon can do that a hundred times in a day, uh, I, I'd much rather do that because then I can do more writing. So that's I, basically like your traditional public for publishing for most people, unless you're a big deal, is going to be a ripoff. And they're going to give you like a tiny pittance and they're going to give it to you like yeah. two years later. The, the, the pitch for traditional marketing was, um, you know, marketing and, and distribution. And in the age of the Internet, you do your own marketing anyways. Your, your personal social media presence is better than their marketing and distribution is irrelevant with Amazon. Um, yeah. So, you know. <laughs> there's, there's no real argument for that yeah yeah and uh, the other thing book business thing that people don't understand uh the reason why i, I could be in a bookstore uh, like i mean i am in small bookstores sometimes uh but if they just decide to order it because it's available but um i the way the book publishing industry works it's a whole bunch of middlemen and basically in order for me to get in like a barnes and noble uh, or like a mainstream like big box bookstore um, I have to accept returns. And basically what they'll do, if you see, if you go into Barnes and Noble, whatever big book they're selling right now, like the big thing that they're pushing, they'll have like 50 copies of it, hundred copies of it. It'll be everywhere, whatever it'll be up in the front. And, uh, if those don't sell, they will send them back. Uh, yeah. so, and then, so yeah, yeah, they sent they bought however many books from you for like $40,000 worth of books. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if those don't sell, you're going to write them a check back for another t- to return for $30,000. So you better have that in the bank. And that's what I've never, I, I never felt when I was a delivery guy. I was like, I can't take returns. I'm never going to have that much money in the bank. So uh, yeah, that's, that's how that works. And that's why it's not worth doing for most people. But anyway, um, what else we got here? Uh, what do you think of Robert Greene's writing style? Real quick, um, I think that he's a sociopath. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think his writing style is probably pretty good, uh, but he writes product books, uh, like in, in, obviously I think, I believe one of his, uh, isn't that other sociopath, the, the stoicism guy, his, uh, Brian holiday. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're good. He's as mentored Brian holiday. They're like, yeah, like, yeah. And I feel like he looks like, I mean, this is mean, but he doesn't care about me and I don't care about him. I'm not, uh, is that, yeah. I feel like he looks a little bit like, like the evil that he's done has like taken on over his face. Like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, there's something, it looks like the man's sick. Yeah. But, uh, um, well, in terms of how that affects his style, because there, there are probably other sociopaths who are great writers, but I, I what my reading of, I, I read like the first three chapters of 48 laws of power, like yeah, six or seven years ago. And it struck me as particularly mundane. Like he's yeah. not saying anything that you wouldn't learn better from like 
Sun Tzu or Musashi or the Prince. And and like even Machiavelli is less Machiavellian than like a lot of these um, success marketing guys today. Um, yeah. Like Machiavelli was at least that there was a, a an aim for the prince in running a good kingdom, running a kingdom well. And the development of political science, which is the art of holding power, was was for that purpose. But it, it, it's funny seeing people who are more Machiavellian than Machiavelli. And yeah, which is it, most of these people. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. like, yeah, like I said, it's he creates book products. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, it's an early chat DBT. I mean, it's like you summarize yeah. concepts and then arrange them in a, in a easy digestible form. Ryan Holiday might be the best example of a of a of that kind of bad writer. Um, yeah. I think he once described his process as just. I mean, I read three of Holiday's two and a half. I couldn't get through um, two and a half of his books in quick succession over about a week. Um, they were so formulaic. It was just a hodgepodge of banal lessons, like backed up by mutually opposing, profound-sounding quotes. It's just it's just a, a a mess of the feeling of authority and ancient wisdom, with no with no theoretical framework around it. Every chapter is a standalone, compelling bit of advocacy that comes. It, it, you can feel his marketing background come through um, in his writing. It's not philosophy. It's not, there isn't a thought <laughs> in his books, but it feels like there is, which is why I think he's so popular. Um, yeah. Well, it's like those, uh, these accounts that I think they would love to like have me as a client where they would write my things for me, uh, yeah. like my tweets or whatever. And, uh, if you look at what they post, it's like, yeah, like formulaic man advice, picture of a tough looking man, five things a man should do to la da 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 da. It's like, yeah. that's not, that that's nothing. That's uh, that, that's literally, uh, you, you, that's soulless garbage. Um, yeah. and, and so um, that's- uh, That's not a thought, that's a feeling. <laughs> it's not even a feeling, it's like, it's like a, it's like it's basically like Chat GPT wrote what is a man? <laughs> like you know, like, yeah. what, based on the available literature, what is a man? And then, um, and then someone told Chat GPT to now make him ten times manlier. Yeah, manlier still. More <laughs> manly. <laughs> exactly, awesome. exactly, exactly. And, um, so it, it's kind of dovetails in the next question I have from the emails is that uh, um, to publish a book and make some revenue off of it. What would you recommend as uh, first steps if I'm in complete obscurity? Don't and be a writer. My question for that is, <laughs> why are you doing that? Like, what? Right. What? It, that's that's not a reason to write anything. I mean, if you really right. want to write uh, a book, uh, you write it because you. It needs to be said. Yeah, you need, you have something that you can say better than anybody else, or that you, yeah that you feel that you need to be the guy who said it because. It, you have a take or an angle or some reason to say something or yeah, something original in your presentation. So, you know, something that you really bring to the table. Yeah. Not, not like I would like to be an author is not like a, a who cares? Uh, it, you have to, there has to be some passion behind it and some reason why you're doing it. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's what I'd add. I don't, I, I'm not saying that that person doesn't have that. Uh, I'm just saying like, that's really what you want to look. And then if, if let's say that that piece is there and you have, you're, you're going to write something brilliant, 
but you're complete in complete obscurity. Well, books are marketed now by, as you said earlier, Chris, the, your, your public image and your social media presence and all that. You can get around it. You can do it in a non thing. I, there are a bunch of guys who have big books who are anonymous right now. So if you're that guy who wants to talk in 4chan and like do that uh, and, and do that, there's money to be made. Uh, you know, you can be any character you like. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, you know, I, will those things be meaningful in 10 years? Who knows? Well, the, the, there are all kinds, I will say, there are all kinds of ways that you can game these systems and these metrics in order to make your book appear profitable. Every single book at the top of the New York Times bestseller list got there by gaming that list. Yes. Um, somehow, you know, but the, like the people who want to write a book, like every politician who writes a book, they're, they're doing it to, to game it and get popularity as a means to some end. But yeah. if you want to write a good book, don't worry about the marketing, at least at first. You can kind of do that as an afterthought. There's nothing worse than the people who write their book with the marketing in mind before they write it. You know? Right. Um, the, have have faith in the quality of your ideas and in the power and the the compelling style that you're writing it in have faith in your voice and in your thoughts and then you know it will do what it's going to do people will discover it it might be 50 years later than you intended than you would have liked but um the good books hang around um i think even books that are contemporaneous to their time hang around um you know, we're still reading Herodotus and he was writing about histories in his time. Right. Um, but it was just excellent writing and it was good information. And, um, you know, the, 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 if you want to write well, I, I feel like, I feel like this, this podcast could almost be relabeled like the problem with marketing and writing. <laughs> <laughs> just the last part here. <laughs> but yeah. 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 Which is not to say that marketing is bad. No, marketing um, is great. You need, you need to do that. Now it's, that's one of the things I think feel like I did okay for being like, not really know what I was doing at yeah, the time. But it's separate. Yeah. Yeah. You, like you keep your science and politics separate and keep your writing and your marketing separate. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah, basically my, my marketing advice to people is if you write a book, that all the people that are, this is the easiest thing. You write a book, all the people who are talking about the same kind of thing who have podcasts because every damn person has a podcast now um, is go on a lot of podcasts. Hey, write the book. And then you go on a lot of podcasts and talk about it. And, you know, if you can get on your buddy's podcast and da, 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 you just start there and you keep talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. You get five readers here, five readers there, five readers there. And that's how that's, that's mostly what I did uh, to get where I am. Uh, so that's, that's how you would go from obscurity. I mean, I did. Uh, so yeah, like, that's how you would do it. Uh, that is, is going, going on a lot of podcasts. Um, and um, so I got a question uh, considering this is the bir birthday of Robert Burns, the Bard of Scotland. I'm just, because this is a great, <laughs> the Bard of Scotland. I'm curious, do you have any opinion of his work or favorite pieces? I, I trust you've at least heard Old, Old Lang Syne. Um, I am partial to Scots Wahe with lines like, lay the proud usurpers low, tyrants fall in every foe, liberties in every blow, let us do or die. Yeah. And and I was like, okay, have you ever heard of this this author? Oh, oh yes. Uh, okay. the, the one I know is on my dad's, um, not Dirk, but uh, Skindu, 
my heart is in the highlands my heart is not here my heart is in the highlands chasing a deer um very famous scottish poem mm -hmm. um that that line that the um person is quoting here reminds me of the the distinction uh we might be talking more about the enlightenment uh, in coming months but um that james Lindsay is fond of distinguishing the the french enlightenment and the the enlightenment more broadly from the scottish enlightenment um which i i, I like the, the the encapsulation there which yeah. is very much a libertarian uh just just leave me alone kind of <laughs> with that with less of the less of the philosophical constructs and, and like less liberté and more fuck off like yeah yeah a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> cool his second part of the question which is a more of a question is uh also what is your view of poetry in general and the importance and its importance in the world of writing have you written any poetry to yourself and if that was available to see uh do you have any process for composing verse um i just thought it would be interesting to talk about poetry generally I feel like if I got really good as a writer, I would only write poetry. I, um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's. If you want to make money, poetry is the last place you go. Right. But you know how there are, there are like co comedians that no one likes except other comics, like other, com like a, a comedian's comedian. Yeah. I feel like poets are writers, writers. Like uh, basically no one reads poetry. Yeah. Um, but writers do and writers appreciate good poetry um good poetry is like it is like magic and it's hard to it's hard to explain that to to people who haven't been writers but well, talk the, about the, way, the perfect word yeah the perfect word in the perfect meter and it fits in the like the da, 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 and the rhythm of the thing and in 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 certain cases rhyme that's a whole different level of the game is yes. to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, no, it's fantastic. It, it, I, I, um, I would like to see, I feel like my good writing is, it has a rhythm to it. It's very distinct. Um, if, it, if it's a good line, it's like, bah, 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 bah. It, it feels, there's a feel to it. Like I, I'll, I'll change things for rhythm in certain lines. And the closest thing I do to writing poetry, aside from, I mean, obviously the Invocation of the Storm, which was, I mean, I would be open for, I mean, I'm not rhyming. Uh, like I said, I can't rhyme for shit, but uh, it is uh, my, when I write ritual, um, in fact, and, and when I write speeches, and uh, this is kind of a funny off color joke, but uh, uh, um, when I had my speech which was memorized uh, that I gave at an NPI conference many years ago. It was a 10, 10 minute long, the first time I ever did a 10 minute long monologue. Um, and uh, Richard Spencer looked at my, at my speech and said, you are a theater fag, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> because, because when I write a speech, I write in poetic lines, I write where the pauses are. So I'll write it as I'm going to say it. And nice. so like, so it's all like half the page and it's not like rather than going the whole way across. So right. it, it's written as it is in verse. And, and, and then it, you know, it, in a lot of times I will memorize things if they're the good parts, because I want to say them just that way. Yeah. And, and, and that's close to that, to that point too. the, um, like 
excellent word choice and poetry not only conveys exactly the right idea, but uses words that actually sound like the feeling they're trying to convey. I was speaking to to um, a couple of friends recently about Homeric poetry, which is written in dactylic hexameter. And there's this beautiful piece of World War One poetry called The Charge of the Light Brigade, um, which is a rare example of English poetry that's written in dactylic hexameter. You'll find a lot of iambic pentameter, which is like, shall I compare thee to a summer's day, thou art more you, that Shakespearean stuff. Um, but very rarely do you see dactylic hexameter, which is that half a league, half a league, half a league onward into the valley of death. And it's it it actually invokes the feeling of horses galloping as you listen to it, at least in English. In Greek, it is much more fluid mm-hmm. and it's this it's, it's this very weird, surreal feeling. Um, but it conveys its own meaning in the sound and the words almost by coincident uh, convey the, the meaning of that sound. I was um, finishing up this essay and I, I, I'll include it here just because it's fun. Um, this bit of uh, Goethe from his work Faust, he has this line and this is uh, told by Me- Mephistopheles who's a demon. So it's, Und das mit Recht, denn alles, was es steht, es wird, dass es zugrunde geht. I'm sure I'm butchering the German, but that, I, I'm, I'm butchering the meter too. Und das mit Recht, denn alles, was es steht, es wird, dass es zugrunde geht. Which means, and rightly so, since everything created in turn deserves to perish. And something about the sound of it it's almost sing-songy, but also has this finality to it. That's not not just in the meaning of the lines, but in the in the sound of the lines. And again, I'm, my German is non-existent. Um, but to whatever degree people can catch that 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 sing-songiness versus the Charge of the Light Brigade, or if you want a, a horrible World War One poem. Um, which goes in exactly the opposite direction. There's, um, uh, what's it called? Pro Patria Mori. Um, the full title is escaping me. It's in Latin. Um, but it's, it's, it's a prose poem almost. Um, and now I'll have to look it up. But they, the, what people are able to do with not just the meaning of the language, but with the sound of the language itself. I don't know if you can finish my thought for me. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, I mean, there's yeah. like, uh, you're like an onomatopoeia or whatever, like the, the, the yeah. words that sound like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was trying to, you may, you're making me think in German now. It's like the one that I have is, has a very similar thing. It might be the same one. It's a, well, not the same poem, but the same thing that, because uh, I used it at Ballgang years ago. It was about, because it's about uh, uh, Odin and the Wild Hunt. Yes. Ruf mich in Storm und Nacht und pur dich zu gleiten. Yes, it's a very similar like meter than that. I'm like, that's the only German poetry. No, that's all I got. Yeah, uh, but I feel like we just put our smart points up for like, but cool, cool, cool. Um, the only other question I had here, because uh, I know you have to probably go soon and, and uh, we're getting late, but uh, yeah. the only other question I got here, uh, I just want to address it because it was a long email. Um, 
And it was kind of a good idea. What he was saying that like, and it's not really about writing, but it's more about like, you know, a, a checklist of things that men should do. Mm. Like to level up uh, in life, you know, like, and he gives a list of stuff and I just want to kind of address it just from a masculinity standpoint. Um, you know, like things that a man should do to level up in, in life or whatever as a man and whatever. And he has like forge a blade or axe, build a fire, sleep outdoors, uh, ice bathing uh, or cliff jumping like Ken Storms, who we've had in our in, our, uh, in one of our meetings because I, I know him uh, through Instagram and stuff. Uh, learn BJ to Brown, uh, you know, and the thing is with stuff like that, it's very... I just want to address it because it, the idea that there's a list of things that you could do to be like the man, um, I don't think is really, it, it's not something that makes a lot of sense uh, because it's going to be different for everybody. Um, not, not that like masculinity is whatever you want it to be. Um, but I, these things are change according to what society needs. You're, you know, like what, what, men should be able to do the things that men should have done or be able to do um all of the things we do now they would have laughed at like fifty thousand years ago they're right. like <laughs> whatever i i killed an aurochs yesterday you know <laughs> you know uh like so it, it's but that's something that they're raised to do and it's functional in our society you know like uh yeah like a lot of men i i joke about this a lot like uh like a lot of men like every man should know like to how to do this X, Y, and Z about his yeah. car and whatever. Uh, and I'm like, oh, I don't have, yeah, I don't have time to learn how to uh, combustible engines run this week. That's uh, not on my. I'll outsource that. And and so there's it's cool if you do, but you're not unmanly if you don't do one or five of these. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like list of I think I think Ken Storms is awesome. I think it's awesome. That he jumps off the cliff. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> I am comfortable with that. I I don't right. feel like I need to. I don't feel like less of a man because I'm not doing that. I don't want to do it. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> I would be uh, the guy I live with always says that I'm going to be an influencer death anyway. Because uh, I, yeah. I and so uh, yeah, I mean it's it's cool that he does. It. That's his thing that he's really good at, and uh, it's awesome and, and it evokes some powerful emotion and so forth. But I. I read an article years ago and I wish that I could find it because it was a little bit more concise, but it was kind of a list of things that you would have to do to kind of be a Billy badass in society. Well, I just, as a man and I liked it and it had to do with like how many hours of martial arts training that you would have on a regular basis in a week, you know, like multidisciplinary uh, hours of martial arts practice in, in a week and how much, how literate you should be in finance uh, and, and things like that. And uh, things that'll really get you far in the world. And that's the stuff that I've, well, I mean, the martial arts is just, yeah, that's a physical competency that's, you know, everyone doesn't technically need until they need it. Um, you know, it's not something you need every day. It's not going to make you money. Uh, yeah. And so like there's, there's just a lot of consideration. So I wouldn't, I, I, I think that checklist, if I made it, it would be a little bullshitty. Like, well, and, and so much of it is a rock, paper, scissors game too, because it's like, Oh, what's the point of martial arts when you, there are people who have guns, you know, even Bruce right. Lee is like oh, martial arts, is nothing compared to a gun. But then, but then there's, there's a guy higher up than that. who's like, well, 
why why learn to do gun stuff when i can control so much more and not even need a gun with sufficient verbal proficiency and legal power yeah and 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 or wealth and then it's like well then i can can take it with guns (laughs) yeah And, and, and then you can take it even a level beyond that where you have the monk who's like oh why do you need all this where i can like you know the, the the wealthy guy is is envious of some other situation and it's this whole circular loop of grass is always greener on the other side of the the skill set um yeah yeah, yeah i mean it, it's good to learn a lot of things and, and i think there are things that i feel like most men should experience and so i guess maybe it's not that bullshitty it's just i think it would be shorter to me and less less we, like I, I do think that if you're going to eat meat at some point, you should kill something and 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 know what that is. You kill something yeah. and eat it. I feel like you should understand what that is, and then you'll have a better extended thing. Because we all do that. That's like yeah. something that we all do. I don't care if you're Donald Trump or me or whatever. I think that would be good. Uh, it's good to be present for that uh, and understand what that is. Um, you know, that, that's always been one of mine. And yeah, I do think that uh, that the, the Fight Club thing, like every every. Man should probably be punched in the face and, and understand what violence is on, on a physical, personal level. Um, now, it doesn't mean that you need to try, train martial arts every week for the rest of your life now. Uh, but I think that you know a lot more about that if you've done it. If like yeah. you've done, done it for a year, you know, like uh, you, you know a lot about it if you've done it for a year. If you've done, done martial arts sparring, um, you know what it is to like punch and be punched and like and do that little dance, do the man dance, as they say. <laughs> um, so, I mean, things like that, I do think are important um, and they're, they, they, they're for everybody. But a lot of these things are very specific. You know, are you ever going to be stuck in the woods and have to create a fire? Um, that kind of shit. I mean, like, okay, I live in a desert, you know, like it's a totally different environment. What are you going to do? So um, is the emailer's question, you know, should a man write a book in order to level up? Oh, no, no, no. His question was more like a suggestion, uh, but it was, oh. it was kind of a cool oh, okay. suggestion. Okay, gotcha. And so I thought about it and I just wanted to address it because it was like uh, he'd written, he'd, he'd, he'd watched the podcast last week, I think. And then like he, was, gotcha. he, he wrote me a long letter. So I just wanted to address it because it's a point I, I, I could see some, it, it would make a good, it will be almost crass. Like it would make a good, like, like discovery channel version of masculinity. Like it's 10 things a man should do, you know, like that, that you know, like I, I wouldn't, I don't think I, I would I put it in, you know, yeah. Yeah. anyway. With the exception that you're, you're not a real man if you haven't built at least one shed. That's fucking right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have both built sheds and enjoyed the, the shed building process a great deal. So as is the rule with masculinity, masculinity is whatever I like and enjoy. Uh, and if you haven't done it, you're a pussy. Is basically and not a real man. Yeah, that's 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 like retard version of masculinity that I have to deal with on the internet all the time. It's like, well, you ain't done it the way that I did it. My grandpappy did it, so you know, like, yeah, shut up. Uh, <laughs> but but we we, we yeah, shed building, I, I do highly recommend. <laughs> but uh, cool, man. Well, it seems like our, our readers, uh, our, our watchers, were actually wrapping it up for us in the comments. They're like, great <laughs> show, guys. Great great show. Show. Really good. You should do that Please again sometime. The show is over. <laughs> but awesome. uh, anyway, man, uh, thanks. And thanks for doing this again. And uh, thanks yeah. everybody for uh, uh, watching and, and uh, like and subscribe. Uh, we're getting our, our follower count up. Share this as much as you can. I think this is a useful one for anybody who's considering writing. And uh, anyway, thanks, everybody. And 
Stay solar. Stay solar. Pater is the cultural arm of the Order of Fire. For more, visit ph2t3r.com. <laughs>